Welcome to Bush Footy Legends, presented by Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. We'll be dusting off the old pigskin and catching up with a few of the people who have made country footy tick in Western Australia. Country football in WA is littered with local legends, and any way you look at it, Vindors fits the bill. A player, administrator and long-time broadcaster, he has seen and called some of WA's most notable football names. Vin joins me now to talk about that long and winding road in the game. Well, Vin, welcome. Where do we find you today? Well, Steve, I'm actually sitting in the Binning Up Caravan Park. I'm under a couple of big draggled old flags, an Australian flag there, which sort of looks as if it's been through a bit of a revolution. And just under it, there's a Dockers flag, and that is really looking sad at the moment. I think either the Dockers need to get a premiership and do something with that one, or they need to pull the flag down. But it's a beautiful day here in Binning Up. We're about 60, 70 k's from where we actually live. It's amazing what a bit of love can do. (laughs) <laughs> Tell us about it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so where actually are you living these days, Vin? Well, we lived basically all of our life in the wheat belt up until the last 10 years. Uh, was born and spent the first 10 years on a farm at Eulering and then we bought a farm just out of Narragin, between Narragin and Wickerton, and we were there for the next 35 or 40 years before we sold the farm went into radio full-time, more of that probably later, and we now find ourselves in Bustleton, retired and thoroughly enjoying a beautiful place in the world. Yeah, certainly not a bad place to be there on the water. Absolutely. Spent a fair bit of time there as a kid too. Now, take us back to that young kid running around the paddock in Narragin in the 1950s, kicking the footy around after listening to the ABC radio and the great Oliver Drake Brockman, who, by the way, was inducted into the WA Footy Hall of Fame in 2015 with other country footy legends like Sid Jackson, Kevin Clune and Paul Hazelby. Wow, and the list goes on. And yes, Oliver Drake Brockman, we used to listen to the ABC footy broadcasts on a Saturday afternoon. I can vividly remember Neil Hawke for East Perth kicking 10 goals in a game against Subiaco. And I went outside and I started kicking the footy around and I became Neil Hawke. And that just seemed natural. I'd start commentating because I'd been listening to Oliver Drake Brockman on the Saturday afternoon. And that, I guess, was the first time that I started that and people started to think I was stupid. <laughs> How well did you call Actually, I remember doing that too. I used to go over the park near the Adam Road Primary School in Bunbury and put my number six West Perth, West Perth jumper on and think I was Les Fong. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've all done it. Some people own up to it and some don't, but <laughs> that was sort of the start of it. And and from there, I sort of started throwing a cricket ball against the wall and bouncing back, and I became every test cricketer around the place playing all these cover drives and all the rest of that. And, and then started a bit of phantom calling of... Uh, this sounds strange, but it's how I actually started through four or five bits of bark into the water of a dam when there was a strong breeze blowing and would watch them go across. And that was actually an America's Cup, even though America's Cup didn't have the Australian involvement at those stage, or it was the king of the regatta, you know, the public school's regatta. So many strange things happened on that farm. And I'm sure, you know, even when I was going around turning over bales of hay and stuff like that, I'd be commentating for some stupid reason. They'd be horses and I'd be flipping them over and they'd be passed on the outside and things like that. So... Uh, Yep, strange times, uh, and and I guess you know, Dad just sat there and he kept doing the work and looking at me and probably scratching <laughs> his head. How, I imagine you called yourself pretty well. You would have been a pretty good player back in those days, <laughs> the way you called yourself. Well, I, yeah, I got out pretty cheaply because I wasn't as good a batsman as Norman O'Neill, or wasn't as good a bowler as as uh, you know some of the stars that were going around at the time. So I sort of used to go in about number seven and went quickly, so we get to get the real players back into the field. Did you need to find some courage as a young bloke? Because you said as people around you would have thought it was pretty strange. Did you need to sort of hold your line and show a bit of courage to pursue what you're 
it would eventually love as a profession? Well, I suppose you could call it that, but picture the sitting out in the middle of the country on a farm and uh, on your own. I, I suppose I know sometimes, you know, mum used to come down to bring lunch out to dad and she'd sort of say, you know, what, what's the young fellow doing over there? And uh, so I, I don't know whether it was courage or whether it was opportunity, but uh, I've never been sort of scared or afraid to do anything in my life, but this would just seem natural at the time. And because we really only had one radio station in those days, that was the ABC, then commercial radio came on into the Narrison area, of course. But, uh, yeah, maybe courage, maybe just a little bit of a, you know, taking a bit of a, a punt at something and having a crack at it. Well, I'm glad you're not scared, Vin, because you've we've put you a bit of a challenge. We've got you to do the AFL Country Stakes. As we said, you've seen and called some of the greats of the game. Uh, why don't you give us the AFL Country Stakes from the turn and into the finish, and let's see who, let's see how you still go. Okay, mate. Well, uh, I'll just go through very quickly through the field, and they're all players that were born in the country that made their name in AFL. So we don't go right back to the polypharma days and, and those days. It, it's AFL, and we've got Peter Matera, Mark Bairstow, Nat Fife, Nicky Winmar, Josh Kennedy, Darren Glass, Dean Kemp, and Jeffrey Farmer. So they're the the eight that are in the AFL country stakes, and they're about to move up towards the corner. And out in front at the moment, Dean Kemp showing a clean pair of heels to the rest of the field. Glass has moved up on the outside. They're heavyweight Jeffrey Farmer starting to labour a bit in third place on the rails but then he's followed further back by Kennedy Winmar Fife Bairstow and Matera standing sail for their run around the bend into the straight for home they've got about 253 metres to go Bairstow moves up on the outside Fife is fluffing his ponytail out the back and he's going with a clean pair of heels here comes Matera down the outside and Dean Kemp is still fit as a fiddle Kemp and Matera settle out of fight it out they go to the line Matera Kemp Kemp, Kemp Matera Matera by a nose to Dean Kemp Life was third, then followed by Nicky Winmare. Mark Bairstow died at the last moment, then came Darren Glass, and then further back was Josh Kennedy, never really in the race, and Jeffrey Farmer pulled up last. <laughs> oh, beautifully done, mate, beautifully done. I think Kempy will be filthy on you, and I think Mark Bairstow will be happy considering his current condition. He's uh, trained off a bit, yeah. Toby. <laughs> well, he's a horseman, so he'd be pretty pleased with that, I think, and uh, um, yep. No, he, he's done very well in the paddock, Mark Bairstow, in recent times. <laughs> he certainly has. He's a great man. Now, uh, let's talk yep. about, just firstly as a player, Vin, how would you describe yourself as a player? You, you captained some young teams, the Narragin Imperials and Wickerpin Seagrade, and then you went on to a senior career of 142 games for the Narragin Towns, including a couple of years as captain. How were you as a player? Um. Well, I classed myself as average. I was one of those players that started in the forward line, had a run on the ball and ended up at fullback. I think that probably is <laughs> why a lot of careers actually panned out over the years. But uh, no, look, I, you know, I, I certainly wasn't a star. I was what I hope was a good average footballer, country footballer. Got made the upper grade Southern Carnival uh, side on several occasions, mainly as a forward. And you know, then I decided that uh, through a few injuries and also the fact that uh, when you play in the forward line and you've got players like Greg Asprey playing on, you and a big, rough, tough John Whitford, who was a fullback in the upper grade Southern, and some of those guys, maybe you were better to be a backman as well. Then you go down there and you've got to take on the likes of Keith Miller and Jeff Taylor, who made great careers with West Perth. So it was a bit of a no-win situation, but I love my footy. Um, played under some very good local coaches in those days. And uh, and I think, you know, learning all the time and probably the fact that I was able to play with as you say, Imperials, uh, which club which has folded, Wickerpin, who was very close, because we had a farm halfway between Wickerpin and Narragin, and then finally ending up at Towns. But, uh, yeah, I don't need to disguise myself as an average country footballer, but really love the whole whole thing about the sport. So when retirement came a bit prematurely for you because of injury in 1973, was it, was it difficult to let go? 
Well, it would have been really difficult to let go, Steve, except the fact that, as I I had injury, I also suffered from pleurisy. Mm. So with a dislocated shoulder, and remember back in those days when you got a dislocated shoulder, they basically just strapped it up and let you go, and you're out for six weeks, and you came back with a strap. So there was never any surgery done in those days on it. So it used to pop out all the time, and we'd just bought our farm, my wife and I, and we just thought we just couldn't afford to be out with injury and all the rest of it. And, And I suppose the year before I retired, the opportunity came to broadcast a game of footy and I just did a bit of a demo and um, ended up uh, being accepted as the demo and called the grand final in those days between Railways and Caballing. They were two of the powerhouse sides around that particular area and uh, mainly on the driving point of a couple of guys called Bill Keeley and Craig Noble who had played football for Swan Districts and they came down to sell cars in Narragin and thought this grand final needs to be publicised and they advertised for it and I was lucky enough to get the gig and that's where it all started. I'll ask you a bit more about that shortly, Vim. But just on those injuries, though, when you when you have injuries time after time, and your time's coming into an end to a game, you need to build build a bit of self resilience mentally, don't you? And you need a good support network around you. It sounds like you had that with your wife and and family. Yes, well, Dad was great. I mean, Dad was once a farmer, always a farmer. He'd played quite a bit of footy, but he also had to give it away when he broke his wrist when he was buying a farm just after the war. And so uh, he knew what it was about, about getting support from family and, and my wife and kids and all those. Throughout my whole life, Steve, they've been the ones that have sort of given me the opportunity to go on and pursue a career. First of all, the sports broadcasting and then in the later years in the full-time radio industry. So I owe most of my uh, achievements and uh, opportunities to the family who were always behind me, whether it was mum and dad taking me to junior footy or whether it was when I was injured, you know, still getting transported around the place and then in latter days, of course, doing all the home duties and dad driving the tractor on the farm while I was able to continue broadcasting. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it, to have that behind you. Now, you just said you had to put a demo audition in. I love that, that you put one in before doing the 1972 Upper Great Southern Footy Grand Final. Was there any pressure at the microphone for that first time? It's obviously become fairly natural to you now, but how was that first time? Well, doing it probably, there was probably more pressure doing it into the old tape recorder because that's <laughs> all we had, a cassette recorder, which we had to do it into. And then we broadcast the game, bearing in mind that, you know, football had been broadcast scantily uh, in the upper grade southern up until that stage and the opportunity sort of came. So we sat up the back of a grandstand, myself and, and a mate of mine who d- did some comments and uh, and there we were. And uh freezing cold day, it was windy, it was raining, there were a lot of things that were sort of happening and uh, through all of it uh, we seemed to go through okay uh, Railways won, they were happy because they were the major sponsors of the broadcast and uh, so they were pretty happy about it all and a legend in country radio used to be a 6KY uh, jock, uh, Carl Graham he was hosting it, he was a Railways man, he just loved it, but I think Carl was getting a bit carried away because he side won, but uh, no, it, was, it, was a, it was a great Great time, great opportunity, and it really did set up a career for me. Well, they must have loved your work because they hired your tonsils again for the following year, didn't they? Yeah, well, that's right. Did the following grand final, and that, of course, on the back end. And, you know, we were so successful at the footy club, the towns that we didn't have to worry about playing finals, so I was available to broadcast <laughs> finals <laughs> in those days. And uh, just after that, uh, finished Dennis Barron, came back from Subiaco and started playing footy, and I think Towns had a bit of a run then of a much more successful side. But, no, look, they were, they were great times, and as I say, did the following year's grand final, and, and then it sort of all started. Yeah, unbelievable. The next 40 years until the... 
2015 Southwest Footy League Grand Final. But for those who haven't been familiar with your work, Vin, I, I want to take a moment to expand on your broadcasting career of more than a thousand games, which is unbelievable. They're predominantly in the Upper Great Southern, also in Ongrup, Eastern Districts, Avon, Central Great Southern, Lower Southwest, and the Southwest, as we said plus all the great southern footy carnivals, the iconic West Farmers Landmark Country Footy Championships, two interstate Australian country footy championships in Bendigo and my favourite place, Bunbury, and even an AFL fixture at Subiaco Oval in 2014 between West Coast Eagles and Fremantle Dockers. Tell us how that Western Derby opportunity to call nationwide on Triple M arose. Well, what actually happened, they used to, uh, Triple M, the our company which I was a manager of and, and a sports broadcaster of, was kept on talking about the cost of sending the broadcast teams over from Melbourne uh, just to cover a game between two WA sides. Not, you know, what happens in the Western Derby doesn't make any difference as far as uh, Victoria are concerned, as you would well know, Steve. So, so we sort of just fiddled around a little bit and said, hey, do you, what about some local callers? We were told it cost about 10 grand or something to fly people over and put them in five-star hotels and the whole lot of that. And they were going to consider calling it, as they're doing in a lot of games now, from a studio in Melbourne just off the TV screen. So myself and Dan Leach, a young radio announcer, mm-hmm. certainly not only as a sports broadcast, whatever, got the gig. And we were fortunate enough to do it. We got Muddy Waterman as our special comments man. And... Um, and we got the contract. We, once again, had to send demo tapes through and the whole lot of it. And um, it was just an amazing game of football. Uh, it was a game which people can remember that Stephen Hill, with about 40 seconds to go, ran off the centre wing, went down and kicked the goal mm. to the uh, city end of the ground. And that put the doctors in front and they won that game. But it was just an amazing experience to sit there, have all the the, the stats up in front of you, have all of, all of the cameras and, and everything else more or less there for you, the screens, etc. And, uh, yeah, it was just a wonderful experience. One of the highlights, if not the highlight of my broadcasting career. And when you get to sit alongside of Chris Waterman, I mean, he absolutely knows the game, that bloke. It must have really given you some good insight into him because you don't usually hear from Muddy that often, but, geez, he's got some great knowledge of the game, hasn't he? He certainly has. And I think one of the things when you do work with uh, really good comments men, men they're not just about um, experience exploiting and talking and talking. They hold their back, they make that relevant comment, they pause, the use of the pause, the use of uh, things like that. The commentators will call all the action. People like Muddy, and I've seen and worked with Dennis Committee and see how he uses a, a comments man as well, Steve, and, and really you set the scene and those guys just nail it. And a good comments man, man will nail it all the time. Yeah, it's like knocking it off the T-ball stick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just said it. And up one there. of the worst things you can do is if you're a commentator and you try to be a comments man as well, because all of a sudden your your comments or your expert uh, s- summary then becomes the same as your broadcast. It's too high pitch, it's too too uh, monotonous. So you've just got to be really careful. And good comments men make good commentators. Vin, did you develop some good tricks mentally to deal with the intensity and pressure of those sorts of situations as a broadcaster? Yeah, I think the key thing is all about preparation. And I just want to set the scene. When we uh, knew Dennis Committee, done some training with Dennis Committee o- over the years on a couple of occasions, and also sat and was sort of monitored by him a little bit. And uh, he was a key about preparation. If you prepare yourself well, so we'd do the little things like before the game, we'd meet two hours before the game, you'd go through all the team sheets, you then walk into the change rooms. Trying to remember 40 numbers as it was in those days is just about impossible. So you'd pick out the red hair, the knee bandage, the green boots, all those little things, and you mark them down on your list of players. Just so it was something to go to. That was very, very important. But the key thing was 
to just get about half a second behind the play because if you try and call the action as it's happening, you're going to get caught out every time. You start predicting free kicks before the umpire's done it and then all of a sudden to make yourself look good, you criticise the umpire for making the wrong decision. So the key to me was slow down, gain momentum, use the pause, certainly rise in crescendo as you're moving down into the forward line, but don't go to the top so you've got nowhere else to go when a spectacular mark or a great kick is, uh, is takes place. So the key to me, preparation, prior preparation prevents, prevents poor performance. And uh, generally speaking, I think that's, that's the key of it. I think in, in life generally, isn't it? I mean, if you prepare well for whatever you're doing, it, it can take a lot of the stress out of situations, can't it? Yeah, and I've seen guys walk in. You know, they've gone and had a couple of beers at the at the at the bar and and grabbed themselves a hot dog. Walked up to the broadcast box and then said, "Okay, now where are we?" Well, where they are is up the creek without a paddle right yes. from the start. So, look, you know, natural ability run. You get you so far. The preparation and the professionalism will get you hopefully all the way. You mentioned the great Dennis Cometti there, Vin. I think you even called on a TV match for a landmark country footy champs grand final. And I don't think everyone can say that. No, well, actually, it was cause I think it was the only grand final I've actually ever broadcast. I think it was 1984, and Eastern Districts played the South West in the grand final, and somebody had teed it up through the GWN network, as it was at then, and, and got the great man to do it. And I was fortunate enough down there calling it for radio, GWN radio at the time, and got the gig alongside Dennis, and uh, it was absolute. That was something really he called totally off the screen. I tried to call it what was happening out there in the match. And he, at the, after about 15 or 20 minutes, he just said, hey, watch the screen. That's all the viewers can see. They can't see what you're calling if it's not on the screen. So that was sort of a great a great tip. I also w- worked with him with cricket. He and Keith Slater, when the West Indies touring side used to travel around back in those good old days, they'd play a game against the country 11 in country towns. And uh, I'll never forget the professionalism of Dennis Committee. He had this great big bag with the history of all the players. And it was up at Corrigan. It was the first time I'd worked with him after that footy game. And I sort of anchored the program and da-da-da-da-da. And West Indies, uh, well, there's no toss in those games. The touring side always bats first so that all the spectators can go along and watch them. And Greenwich and Haynes were opening the batting. And I was sort of got the throw from the studio. Dennis was down in his bag. And I thought he had no idea. So jokingly, because I knew him well, I said, and now here's Dennis Committee for Radio West Sport. And he just said, thank you, Vin. He lifted up. He says, as Clark turns and runs in, and he bowls to Greenwich. Outside the off stump, he lets it go through to the keeper. Wasn't even looking at the game until the bowler had bowled, but he knew who was bowling. He knew who was on strike, and he winked at me after that. And uh, that, he was just he is just so professional and a great man to work with. What a great memory, eh? Well, you've broadcast with more than 70 different callers in your career, Vin. I'm sure many people out there will remember names such as Terry House, Peter Sheridan, Jerry McAuliffe, Michael Caine, Daniel Leach, as you mentioned, Neil Clancy and Jim Hull, of course. Uh, who was your favourite to call with? Oh, gee, that's a hard You're one. You're going to get into trouble um, then. <laughs> I, yeah, I, look, Alistair McDougall as a comments man, he and I worked together basically at every game for 25 years, and I'm talking about the professionalism of comments men and experts' commentary. And if there was ever anything, if you went to a game, sometimes you'd only have one commentator, which would have been me, and you had Alistair there. He would have probably given me the most joy and pleasure to work with of all of the other guys simply because he was reliable, 
you knew the tempo of the guy and you worked with someone for 25 years. I think that says a lot about the relationship you've got. As far as the other commentators, they all had their own little quirk. Uh, I, I remember Jerry McAuliffe was a really good caller, uh, a guy who ended up up in the Eastern Districts, and I even called some games up there with him. Neil Clancy was probably as well prepared as any of the commentators I've seen. Terry House and I, Terry was a great help to us, along with Cappy Dillon and a few of those guys mm. in the Southwest when I had yep. to travel down from Norwich and the cool Southwest finals and things like that. The most hilarious and, and to work with was Jim Hull. Jim Hull was extraordinary. He had more comments of of setting the scene of situations. Wouldn't always call a game as it was, but somebody backed out of a pack like a Kunak out of a dam or somebody went down after a heavy bump like a beer bottle at a bushfire. And the way Jimmy Hull could get these sayings out, you ended up bursting out laughing and, you know, while you were trying to commentate with him. But many great callers, and I think it's an injustice just to name a few of them, but there's a lot of young guys coming on that, that have also been very good. Well, mentioning Housey there, Vin, I... I do have a memory. He was a brilliant caller. I do have a memory, though, when I played my second league game for South Bunbury, managed to get on the end of a couple of snags, and Gavin Thornton was playing his first game back for a long time, and he kicked 10 in his first game back after about 12 months. And I went back and listened mm-hmm. to a bit of the replay, and House, he had me uh, as te- as Peter Old a couple of times. He called me Peter Old. Now, if you've ever seen myself stand next to Peter Old, there's a fair difference. Um, so, House, come on, mate. There, there is a fair distance, and <laughs> Terry was obviously more worried about what, what his crew were doing, you know, South Bunbury, than, than worried about anything else. But a good caller, a professional caller, and he is another one who went on and did other things in his sporting career after his playing and coaching days had finished. Yeah, he's a great man, Terry, and uh, Gavin Thornton, wow, what a star. What a privilege to play alongside him it was. You're listening to Bush Footy Legends with Steve Butler. Mental health issues can affect anyone. It may be difficult at first, but talking can help. If you notice something different about a friend or a family member, check in on them. They might brush you off at first with, I'm fine, but keep checking in on them if you notice something isn't right. It lets them know that you're there to support them. Talking and listening are powerful. For tips on how to check in on a mate, search Think Mental Health WA. Uh, now, let's have a look at some of the stars you've actually called over the years, Vin. Household names, many of them. Mark Bairstow, Peter Matera, Ross Ditchburn, Nicky Winmar, Keith Donkin, Keith Miller, Greg Asprey, as you said, Bob Beecroft, Dean Kemp, Alistair Pickett. Can you ca- just sort of maybe pluck a couple of memories out of that list of names? Well, the most courageous footballer I think I saw was Keith Donkin, and uh, he grew up, and I, he was sort of playing for Wickerpen as a as a young guy when I coached their C-grade side, so I sort of followed him as a bit of an idol, along with Polly Farmer, who I think was everyone's idol. Uh, he was probably the most courageous footballer, and unfortunately, in the grand final between West Perth, you'll probably remember this, West Perth, when Polly was coaching West Perth and East Perth, Polly took out uh, Keith Donkin early in the game, and I'm sure that cost us the game, but um, <laughs> look... When you go through the Mark Bairstow was absolutely outstanding. He kicked 92 goals as a sentiment when yeah, he came back play, from his yeah, one year play. back after playing with, with um, Geelong. I only saw the young early days of Peter Matera and Nicky Winmar, but I can just remember some of Nicky Winmar's marks. In fact, he took one sensational mark sitting on the shoulders of the Jeff Marsh. They were playing in opposition sides, even though they came from the Pingley area. And I think that finished Jeff Marsh's footy career after that. He said, enough is enough when Nicky Winmar's sitting on his shoulders. Uh, Ross Ditchburn was absolutely outstanding. He kicked 20 goals in a final one day in the Upper Great Southern, wow. and he kicked 20 goals one. Wow, it was wow. just an unbelievable, and at half time he had 12, and I said over the air, if you people want to come and watch an absolute champion in action, 
come along down here to Darkin for the second half of this final. And, you know, it was just an unbelievable performance. 20 goals won in a winning side, obviously. And he had a very good cook and down side with him then. But Ross Ditchburn was just an outstanding player. But, yeah, Dean Kemp, I saw him play as a 15-year-old on the wing at the West Farmers Country Championships when he was playing for the Goldfields. And he absolutely cut loose. Similar to Peter Matera, only saw him as a youngster playing before the of course he went down to South Fremantle and then to the West Coast Eagles. Probably pound for pound, the best country footballer that I saw was a guy called Keith Miller. Mm, Centre yeah, half forward, tough as nails, ended up at West Perth, should mm-hmm. have played state football, but Mal Brown dropped him out of the side when his car broke down. He didn't get there two hours before the game. He was just an outstanding country footballer, and uh, there's just so many of them on that list. It's hard to pick them out. Alistair Pickett, the magic of Alistair Pickett, oh, when he and Marlon played in one side together and they just shared the football from one end of the ground to the other, it was just fantastic, and he went on to win uh, two Sandover medals. Just on that day when Ross Ditchburn kicked that big bag, that was that the year that he kicked 168 for the year? It was, yeah, Rally. and he missed a few games. That's unbelievable. <laughs> 168 goals. You know, yeah, and I think he kicked 100 goals in each season once uh, Central Great Southern, where he was playing from, when he came back from Carlton, and uh, he played with a Central Great Southern, and he used to kick 100 every year down there. And when they came to the Upper Great Southern, I'm pretty certain, someone will correct me, I'm sure that he kicked 100 goals plus in every season while he was still playing in the Upper Great Southern. Just That's an absolute outstanding person and, a, and an outstanding footballer. Well, I was going to say that, actually. Not only was a great footballer, he's also a great man, and he chairs the Regional Men's Health Initiative, and, and you're on that committee. Can you tell us why your group's so important yep. and uh, how aware yeah, we right. need to be about mental health in country footy? Yeah, look, it's, it's really important. And, uh, you know, no time than like now, when a lot of footy clubs are out there, they're struggling for survival, they can't get up and going, whether they should be playing or shouldn't be playing, but most country towns survive around the footy club and if there's no football for them or no netball for the girls or no hockey for for the males and females those country clubs really fall away and unfortunately, not only do the clubs fall away, but the individuals supporting them then start to get very, very depressed and it's pretty tough out in country Western Australia, I'm sure most people understand that, but to understand men health and what can be done for it, that is another step forward. And, you know, there are are you okay days Mm. and and, and there's so many different things that are out there at the moment. Check on your mate, look after your mate. If he's a member of your footy club and you haven't seen him for a few weeks, give him a call, call him up on the CB, which you've got, of course, out in the farms. If he's seeding and he's out there on his own all the time, just make sure you get in touch with him because a lot of people are out there, they're in the dark of night, they're going backwards and forwards and sometimes... You know their their thoughts on life and their value in life tend to degenerate a little bit. So so just give your mate a call. It's a wonderful initial. I'm proud to be on that. And it, it's quite uh, funny actually that just about everybody who's on that board has been involved in country football in one way or another. And I think that's indicative of of why we as a community need to look after each other. Vin, I think anyone who spends a decent amount of time in footy invariably rides that roller coaster, don't they? And, you know, it comes down to your mates and those of you've sort of built that trust and friendship around. And, and probably in recent years, we've seen the blokey change room sort of thing of the past go a bit and, and footy mates are a bit more you know, proactive in opening up to each other nowadays. I think they are. Uh, I don't know whether the 
a good period or where that turn came. But I, I do compliment the you know the WA Country Footy League and and a lot of their campaigns I've got up like Built Up and and of course Are You Okay and and Mental Health Days and that because they're taking back to the clubs and it is okay to tell mates you're not feeling too well. It is okay to talk about it. Blokey, blokey, shut doors and all the rest of that. It's a lot more open now. And I think it's in better times, but it's still really important because I was talking to a couple of guys the other day from football clubs up in the Midwest areas that don't look like getting up and going. And they're worried about the fabric of the community. They're worried about a whole lot of things because people are making decisions without fully understanding what happens in country communities. And uh, that's unfortunate. Um, Will people come along and play for nothing to support that local club that's been paying them? Well, that's that's another story. But, you know, without crowds, without the bar, without the ladies on the afternoon tea, the footy clubs won't survive. No, I think that's right. Uh, Now, we talked about that Western Derby and a few of those individual moments. Is there a country footy game that you remember the most, Vin, out of those thousand games that you've called? Oh, Is there an absolute um, rip-snorter of a finish? or? Yeah, look, there, there, there's probably three that come to my mind. There was a second semi-final between Williams and Cooker and Dumber Young, uh, played out at Pingerley. Not sure of the year. I'd suggest it was probably early 1990s. And the league changed eight times in the last quarter. And I sat back after that game exhausted and said, that is the best game of country footy that I've ever seen. Imagine how they felt, Ben. just amazing. (laughs) Imagine how they felt. (laughs) Well, you know, and and they were just legends playing that game and just threw themselves into it. Blokes that have, you know, from the upper grade Southern Footy League, like I've mentioned, your Ross Ditchburns and Craig Donies, who Mm. I think he won two or three Leo Graham medals. John Price, who won four Leo Graham medals for Williams. All of these guys were in it, and they were just absolutely outstanding through the game. John Ditchburn, guys like Raymond Joy, a lot of these guys that were just out-and-out champions and to watch that game, it was exhausting to call. That was a fantastic one. The, the drawn grand final, I think it was between Bustleton and Collie, uh, was a fantastic game. Unfortunately, I couldn't uh, do the replay, which Bustleton won, and they reminded me about that afterwards. But that was a great game. Dan Leach and I called that, and, and it was just one of those games where Collie looked like they had it won. Bustleton started coming just after half time and ended up running them down, but uh, couldn't get in front. In fact, they did get in front, and then Collie kicked the last two points to level it up. So that was a great game. Game. There's a couple of games at West Farmers Country Football Championship now, the Landmark Country Footy Championships, or now Nutrient Country Football Championships, which I don't think are on this year, uh, where they've they've just come from nowhere. There was a great game at Subiaca at the Wacker when um, we they played the semi-final or the Friday night game of the Landmark Country Footy Championships for an AFL fixture, and that was just sensational game of footy, high marking and everything else. It was drizzling with rain, but the players lifted at the occasion. And, of course, probably the first time they'd played in front of 20,000, 25,000 people as well. I remember meeting uh, a bloke by the name of Leroy Jetta when he was just a very shy young kid who went to Essendon. And uh, I've got to know him since as well, and he's a brilliant young man. I really got a lot of time for Leroy. But he actually played in three flags in one day. I'd never heard that one before. Well, he did. He was captain of their C-grade side, uh, played in that, and came off the ground halfway through the last quarter uh, when they had the game well and truly won. Then, because of local rules, which says you can't start a game if you've played the previous game, sat on the bench in the reserves and went on in the first quarter and played the reserves game, which Pindley actually won that game as well. And then, come the league game, they decided... 
they'd put him on the bench for that and he came on in the second quarter of that particular game and that was a really wet game. Six goals won the game and he kicked the winning goal, would you believe? So Leroy Jetta, an absolute out-and-out champion. But that's what he was doing as a 15-year-old in the upper grades of them. Wow, that's uh, a day out you'd never have. You just dream about that sort of day out in the game, don't you, really? Well, I think for a young guy like that and... um, there were a lot of great Indigenous players around, but he was one that they did mature. Indigenous players matured quicker than than the mm. than the normal Australians, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. But they are they're built, born with a football in the hand, a basketball in the hand, and he was just one of those guys who probably could have played in the league side when he was fourteen, but they decided against it. But when they got in the grand final day, he played in the whole three games, and that, you know it was just another one of those things you remember. It stands out, and you say, "Wow." How did Seriously? that happen? I was had, here to see it. And then, of course, he went on to, to greater things, as most of these players have. Had some serious magic, that kid. What about another one? What, what do you remember of watching uh, you know, ultimate Australian Football Hall of Fame legend Barry Cable start with the Narragin Imperials as a 15-year-old? Well, funny thing was with Barry Cable, his um, stepbrother, a bloke called Alfie George, at the same age was a better footballer than Barry Cable. But uh, I was fortunate to be captain of Imperials uh, third side or Seagrade side. Cable, I think, was a couple of years older than me. And he was playing. He played the year before and he played that year. And he had real talent. Alfie George probably had a bit more talent. But there was a bloke named Bert Sykes who was tied up with the Perth Football Club, managed Coventry's in Narragin at the time. And he got Cable very quickly down there. He went down with Big Barry Chittleborough from uh, Brookton. And the two of them went down, formed a relationship. Along with them was Bob Page from Pingerley. So all of a sudden, the first ruck for the Perth Footy Club in the early 1960s was made up of three country footballers, Chittleborough, Page and Cable, and they stayed that way for quite some time. And what about those three Matera brothers, Wally, Peter and Philip? They developed their skills at Wage and uh, all very different in, in a lot of ways the way they played, but all great careers too. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Wally was the oldest and he sort of played a bit of football uh, in senior football in the upper grade Southern of Wagen before he went down to South Fremantle. And then Peter came along. He was the second in line and he was just a star as a kid. Very, very good as a a thirds or C grade footballer. Made the uh, upper grade Southern Carnival side as a 15-year-old, played in the forward pocket and up on the wing exactly the same year actually as as, uh, Dean Kemp played against us. And here were two outstanding players, both 15 or 16 years of age playing in a in a game at Claremont Oval when Goldfields played upper grade Southern and who was to know just where these two guys would end up but uh, with with Philip didn't play a lot of football in Wagen because he sort of followed the pathway of his two older brothers and he basically started down with um, South Fremantle and then of course ended up with uh, Dockers and uh, with Eagles sorry and uh, so so look I, I think over the years the most talented clearly in my mind was Peter. He was just an absolute out-and-out champion. But the other two were very, very good footballers as well. No doubt. You list your idols as people such as Polly Farmer, Keith Donkin, Graham Smokey Dawson, the great man, Dennis Cometti, Tim Lane, Wally Foreman, Glenn Mitchell. It's a pretty fair list of role models. Uh, It's pretty important to look up to people when you're trying to get to that destination that you want, isn't it? Yeah, and and there's something which I've said in life and I've been doing training and whether it be work training or sports broadcasting training is to get yourself an idol, somebody that you look up to and follow all of their career, not just the the sport that they're 
feeding in, but follow what they're doing off the field, how they're reacting in the communities and things like that. And, and you went through a fantastic list there. And, and I just look at, you know, people like Wally Foreman and what he did, what, mm. what Glenn Mitchell, and he suffered severe mental health problems, and yet he's come back again. He's still coaching people. He's back on radio again and, and doing a fantastic job, but offering himself all the time to help with mental health. And then, of course, the, the champions like Polly Farmer. Farmer and Kilmurray uh, came from Sister Kate's home. They were basically the forgotten generation, if you like, and they edged a career in football. And you never forget that, how they came about it, how fair big Polly Farmer was and what a what an absolute gentleman he was. And uh, But, you know, the list goes on and, and, and on. And it, it, it is difficult when you're sort of trying to pick out people to follow. But I always say follow one person. When I was a young kid, it was Keith Donkin and Polly Farmer. Well, it was two. But one was already playing. The other one was at the start of his career. And the other guys then come along as you sort of expand your career. Committee, I would sit and listen to Dennis Committee for 20 years because he is just so good. He is so dry, so witty and so clever. And without doubt, the best sports broadcaster I've ever worked with or listened to. Now, Vin, I hear you once butchered the term, and I, I want to be a little careful myself here today. Uh, drop, punt, kick. Uh, should we give you another crack at having, having a go at it today? Well, you've got to set the scene, I suppose. And, and when you're commentating footy and you're sort of going and there's a lot of things happening right in front of the broadcast box and the crowd's there and the whole lot of it, and then you a player wheels onto his right, right boot and does a drop, punt, kick down to full forward. Now, unfortunately, a roll of the tongue, words come out wrong, and there are a couple of grey rinse ladies sitting in a Volvo car in front of the broadcast box that used to actually not listen to the radio, they'd listen to us and we'd have the windows open. And they jumped out of their car, stood with their hands on the hip and just glared back, and then I saw just a little smidgen of a smile come from them. And they were (laughs) fanatical football people. Drop, punt, kick didn't quite come out as it was supposed to. And and the worst thing about all of that was, was not only did I say it like that, but my two fellow commentators at the time, they just threw their headsets off and started laughing, laughing, laughing. And you try and pick it up and continue on with the broadcast (laughs) when all that, you've just said that. They're laughing at you, women are staring at you, and the game's got to go on. Yeah, it does you can get carried away in the broadcast box. There's no doubt about that. But I think uh, one of my favourites was John Dillon from the Southwest Footy League. I remember once he said, "It's all happening in there, but nothing's really happening." Tongue <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tied. Where do I go from here? Okay, yeah. we'll just set the scene again. <laughs> <laughs> now, another memorable yeah. time came for you when uh, former East Perth player Gordon Thompson he had a bit of a hairy moment during a match, didn't he? Yeah, well, nobody knew that Gordon Thompson wore this beautiful toupee. When I say beautiful, that's very much literally speaking. <laughs> and he came up and he coached Pindley, then he went on to coach Towns a little bit later on. But Gordon, he was fit, he was tough. His brother Ian had suffered some pretty serious injuries in a big collision when he was playing for East Perth. But Gordon was a very good player. Topped the goal kicking up for Great Southern, kicked 95 goals one game. But in a game and again, setting it right in front of the broadcast box, these things happened as he was about to kick. Somebody gave him a real S-mixer and he went down and the toupee or headpiece just flew off and again you can tell the story a million times and it's not funny but to be there not knowing this was on his head and to see it fly off and then all of a sudden of course the opposition player started pointing at it and laughing and to us it was just one of those you had to be there you could tell that story a million times and it wouldn't have any impact on anybody it was just one of those funny moments lucky it wasn't a Bruce Dool moment and they didn't pick it up and like his (laughs) headband and throw it over the fence Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as you said earlier, it's it's never possible to sort of follow these p- 
pursuits without the right support from home. Uh, you must be very satisfied with uh, how you've been backed by your wife, Judy, and your three kids. Well, they've given me the opportunity, you know, and I think it's really important when people sit back and want to go on a career, give them that opportunity. I remember back every Sunday and quite often, you know, weekdays as well, you'd be tied up with footy broadcasting and for your kids to be able to be raised, they needed, uh, you know, a doting mother, a protective mother and a very considerate mother. And I know in, in, in days when I was involved with cricket, you to come along and sort of be the, the manager's wife, the coach's wife type of thing. And in football, she would always have those kids, her family come along and I was always at football. I'd take off about half past 10 in the morning. And of course, bearing in mind, some games you had to drive 100 kilometres just to get to the game before you set it up. And you wouldn't get home till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate, 49 and a half years down the track, Jude and I are still one partnership together. All of our kids are happy, they're grown up, they've got their own families and uh, just cannot say enough about how important, nobody can do it on their own, how important that backup support is. And even though they might consider they're in the back line, in the back, you know, backstage and everything else, they're not, they're foremost in everybody's thought because without their support, you're just not able to do it, Steve. Here, here, mate. Here, here. And what a life in footy you've had. An Australian sports medal for services to sport and a life member of the Upper Great Southern Footy League, which I know is pretty dear to you. It's been fantastic taking a trip down memory lane, mate, and uh, appreciate the chat. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for the opportunity. And to anybody out there who's thinking about going in a career, maybe in sports broadcasting, umpiring or sports medicine or whatever, take the opportunity you get more out of it than you ever put into it and that's what i can say i've got more fun and joy out of everything i've done with football than anything that i may well have put into it great message mate all the very best thanks steve thanks for listening please share the podcast or tell a friend about it and for tips on how to check in on a mate search think mental health wa